The process of applied functional science is the transformation of the notion into the motion. From the Gray Institute, I'm John, and this is the Gray Institute Podcast. Gray Institute is internationally acclaimed for its innovation, development, mastery, and delivery of Applied Functional Science, AFS. AFS is based on scientific truth, not theory, of how the human body moves in all three planes. AFS allows movement professionals like you to apply the best, most effective, and most efficient movements to any individual based on specific needs and goals. For 40 years, through training, education, and mentorship, Gray Institute has equipped over 150,000 professionals with comprehensive knowledge in the principles of applied functional science. Whether you are physical therapists, personal trainers, athletic trainers, chiropractors, strength and conditioning coaches, coaches, physicians, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, osteopaths, physical therapy assistants, or kinesiologists, Our goal is to help you become the go-to movement professional. The Gray Institute podcast is questions-based. You send in your questions and we'll discuss them. If you're listening and have questions, email them to info at grayinstitute.com. We join Gary as he discusses optimal body movement and function for our clients. From Gray Institute, I'm Gary Gray, and this is the Gray Institute Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. It's always an honor to have you go along and uh, allow me to jibber-jabber about things that are out there and questions people have and uh, thoughts that uh, hopefully allow us all to uh, just take better care of our patients and clients and uh, our friends and our family. Uh, So thank you for joining us. A couple of really good questions today. Uh, The first one uh, is a question that's near and dear to my heart. And it's almost like I set this one up. And I think uh, because he's a friend, it might be a setup uh, so I can share. Um, but it's a uh, question uh, from a gentleman by the name of Steve from North Dakota. And uh, he indicates that he's listened to a couple of the podcasts and has listened to a number of our uh, webcasts and seen a lot of our videos and indicates that periodically he hears the word triadox. Uh, and said initially he thought he understood it, but doesn't quite understand it. And uh, basically said, would you mind sharing uh, when Gray Institute says triadox, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it's a made up word, not unusual for Gray Institute. We try not to make up words to make things more confusing for others or to make it look like we got our own little Mickey Mouse club with our own words. But triadox reflects our belief uh, and also reflects what we call truth. We all know what a paradox is. A paradox is uh, either a couple different words that just are contrary to each other or a couple different phrases that are contrary to each other. But when you bring them together, they all of a sudden seemingly have this meaning that you go, oh, wow, that's that's significant. Um, in applied functional science, there's a number of paradoxes. Uh, for instance, in order to uh, uh, unload, you must load first. Uh, therefore, movement itself is, is, is what we would call a paradox. Uh, in order to jump up, you got to go down first. In order to throw something forward, you must take your body backward. Um, so there's all kinds of what we call paradoxes. However, we learned and realized early on that there's a lot of triadoxes 
And since things were in three, we couldn't call it a paradox. Uh, the most obvious one that we all know of is the body itself moves in the sagittal, frontal, and transverse planes. So when I do anything, if I walk, if I throw, if I dance, if I reach down and pick up my granddaughter, um, the question is, so what are the joints doing? What motions are they going through? And we would need to say, triadoxically, they're going through all three planes at the same time. Um, what's beautiful about that is you can purely, it's almost impossible in, in human function, but a robot can be engineered to just have sagittal plane motion or frontal plane motion or transverse plane motion by how we uh, rigidly design the joint. All of our joints, however, are designed to be triadoxical joints. They're designed to be in the sagittal, frontal, and transverse planes. And of course, some joints give us equal amounts of all three, and some joints are dedicated for dominating uh, a certain plane and a little less than another plane. So it's understanding that that allows us to understand function, the triadox of it. The uh, movement system itself uh, is a triadox. Are we neurological? Are we muscular? Are we skeletal? And the answer is yes, we're neuromusculoskeletal. So you'll rarely hear us talk about musculoskeletal uh, disorders or the musculoskeletal system. You'll very, hear, very frequently hear us say the neuromuscular skeletal system because it's in the power of the triadox, understanding how the nerves and the muscles and the bones get along that allow us to move, that is the power of understanding human movement. Uh, just in health and fitness, uh, if you go into a health club, they uh, sometimes what we would call separate the triadox a little too much. Here's our endurance room. Here's our, so, so to speak, cardio room. Come over here. Now here's our flexibility room. And come over here, some more machines or free weights. Here's our strength room where the human body really says, no, I'm tridoxical. Um, I, I want basically you to create a mobility in me, strength to control that mobility, and the endurance to continue it the way I want to do what I want. And therefore, uh, the way we rehabilitate, the way we a training condition is a triadoxical uh, understanding. We as human beings are extremely triadoxical. We are mind, body, and spirit. Some people might call it mind, body, and soul. Some others might say mind, body, and heart. Doesn't matter how you say it. We as human beings um, have this voice inside us, this ability, a God-given ability to understand that um, we are a creative design and we're not like a rodent, so to speak. And so we are tridoxical. We're not a paradox, we're a tridox. Three things come together to make up your special, you being as special as you are. Uh, look around the world right now, look anywhere, and you'll see all different colors. Every color is a tridox. Every color is potentially a combination of red, blue, and green. Uh, now, there are some pure reds out there, some pure blues out there, and pure greens out there, but in nature, they're not. Uh, you have to fabricate that. You'd have to go in and uh, if you wanted a pure red, you'd have to pull out every flake of blue and every flake of green, and the, the sky and the grass and the oceans are all tridocs. Uh, so very tridoxically speaking, uh, we would say that just understanding the beauty of color uh, is a tridox in itself. Um, 
with our gift program, our 40-week mentorship program, uh, gift fellows say, hey, I want to continue to learn, but more importantly, I want to be able to share this more effectively with my patients and clients and from a professional standpoint with uh, other professionals. And therefore, we developed a tridoxical track, which is called Placoachmate. Well, Placoachmate is player, coach, and teammate. Well, interestingly enough, I had the opportunity uh, last night. Um, <laughs> I I'm not sure if it's an opportunity or uh, it have to be described a different way. But uh, I still get to play City League basketball. And the blessing I have, the opportunity I have, I get to play basketball with my son. And he is a coach mate on the floor. So when I see him playing at any given moment, he's one of the best players on the floor. But while he's playing, he's also coaching. He's kind of helping me where I should go to set a pick or uh, how I should defend my man. And he's also a great teammate. Not selfish at all. He'll make sure that uh, the right person gets the ball in the right spot and plays defense and help defense. So at any given point of the game, if you looked out there and watched Dougie play, you would say, well, is he a player uh, or is he a coach or is he a teammate? And you'd say, yes, he's a coach mate. Well, that's what we strive to do when we're working with others. Um, another way to say that, uh, the player could be the student, the coach could be the uh, teacher, and obviously the teammate could be the classmate. And so great, as you know, great classmates weren't only just great classmates, they were great students themselves, but they also put their arm around us and helped teach us. And probably most of the things I've learned were from great, what I would call um, classmates that were teachers and great students, or what I would call placoachmates. So there are thousands of tridoxes out there. We uh, uh, have basically done seminars on the power of living in the tension of the tridox uh, because we're rarely in the center of a tridox. In other words, there's not a joint in our body that gives us equal amounts of sagittal, frontal, and transverse plane. And so we, when we create an environment for healing, where we create an environment for rehabilitation, training, and conditioning, we, we consider the neuromusculoskeletal system. We have to be dealing with all three of it at the same time. It's impossible to leave one outside the door. Uh, however, we tweak it to influence one a little more. It might be a little more geared towards the muscles or geared toward the joints or geared toward the proprioceptors. Same thing with our, uh, our, our ability to get uh, our health and wellness pursuit with flexibility, strength, and endurance. And in our own personal life, mind, body, and spirit, um, I would like to say sometimes I have equal amounts of all three and that I'm in the middle of that tension. And therefore, I have the power of the triadox of a human being, uh, but I don't. Sometimes I'm kind of a little more dominant in the mind and thoughts and what is created there. Sometimes I'm a little more dominant in what my body needs and sometimes a little more dominant in what my spirit needs. Uh, or another way to say it, sometimes I lack pursuing what my mind needs or lack pursuing what my body needs or lack pursuing what my spirit needs. And knowing that they're a blend of all three, I can use one to get to the other, um, which is a powerful thing. Another obvious one to a lot of us who would be considered uh, Christian believers, there's many ways to say that, but uh, if I say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a um, long time ago that was confusing to me. Uh, how could they be three separate 
entities, but still be called one. Um, and, well, guess what? It's a tridox. There's a million examples of it. So to now understand and appreciate and be blessed by the fact that I have a father, uh, I have a son, Jesus, and then there's a Holy Spirit. Uh, they're three separate, yet they're the Trinity, but they are one. Um, that's pretty easy to understand now, pretty easy to uh, get my arms around. And so we realize that triadoxically, that when a thing is a tridox, you can't influence one of the components of the tridox without concurrently influencing uh, two, the other two. Uh, so, uh, for instance, in human movement, we'll take advantage of that. You have limitation in the transverse plane. I'll go after your sagittal and frontal plane and automatically the transverse plane will come back because the sagittal and frontal influence the transverse. Um, I personally use that a lot now trying to, uh, as we get older, I think we do uh, in our mind, body, spirit tridox, uh, hopefully think a little more spiritual. Um, but to get there is very difficult for me. So sometimes I go, okay, what can I do with what I'm thinking or what I'm reading or what I'm studying to get me uh, into that part of the spiritual part of my life? Or how do, what, maybe my workout isn't getting me there. Maybe there's something I can do with my body. And so I take advantage of one of the three dimensions to get to the other two dimensions. Um, and again, we see that in colors. Uh, if one of, one of the colors dominates, it's going to show up a little more, but the other two colors are there. And so they're influencing those other colors. So I appreciate the question. I think it's a setup question. I think Steve probably understands this better than I do. Uh, but it's fun to share because you can tell, hopefully, from the passion in my voice that uh, it's something I really care about. Somebody asked me, a while back, uh, why haven't I written a book? Um, first answer was not smart enough. Second answer, maybe too lazy. Uh, but third answer is, uh, hey, I might consider it. And they said, well, if you were gonna write a book, what would it be about? And I'd say, you know, um, I uh, really am uh, enamored by tridoxes. And I've kind of written down what I would consider the top 100 that I consider on a frequent basis. And I think uh, anytime you write a book, you're trying to say, how can I help somebody else? How can I be a perfect coach mate? How can I come alongside somebody and give them a tool or give them an understanding or give them a thought process or giving them encouragement to help them with their life? And so if I wrote a book, it would be living in the tension and the power of the tridox. Uh, so tridoxly speaking, um, I really appreciate uh, that thoughtfulness um, that Steve has. Encouragement, uh, just what Steve did by asking me that question is a triadox. Uh, Tridoxically, it's uh, our actions and our communications and our locations. So we're always someplace and we're always kind of uh, doing something and we're always communicating and how we put that together as a form of encouragement can be a powerful triadox, can be a powerful tension can be a powerful power that we have in our uh, ability to um, be there for somebody else and let, uplift somebody else. Uh, so hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, if you enjoy more about Tridoxes, just write us a note and say, hey, go deeper in Tridoxes and I'll share some more of uh, my favorite ones. And um, we can kind of dig into the, uh, the tension and the power of the Tridox.
second question uh, comes from Luann, and Luann, uh, we're not really sure where she's from. Uh, got the uh, email address here, and we will reach out to her. But uh, Luann, um, I think is kind of new to Gray Institute um, because her question indicated that she's uh, come across uh, people who she, what quote unquote, follows Gray Institute. Um, and uh, s- seems to be uh, confused, especially about uh, assessment techniques. And so she basically uh, made it real simple on us and said, what is the difference between uh, the functional movement system, the FMS system uh, that's been out for a number of years uh, as compared to 3D maps? Um, and you can tell she was introduced recently to 3D maps and I'm not sure how the person presented it to, to her. I hope they did it in a very respectful way, but it apparently, um, made her challenge whether or not the functional movement system, uh, is functional. And strangely enough, another question, is it movement? Uh, and, and therefore can it really be a global human movement screen? Um, so. For us, that's a pretty easy one to answer uh, because um, that's what we've been studying most of our life, and we can answer that pretty well. The way the way we answer those now is we answer it scientifically. So in the good old days, uh, my orneriness, my ego, my selfishness, my pride, uh, my false self would come flying out, and I would go, "Well, what they're doing is not right, and what we're doing is right," and that's. An ignorant thing to say, although that's what I would probably would have said. Um, and so now I try to look at it uh, more scientifically, uh, less emotion. Um, I can't tell you my ego's not involved. I think it's always involved. That might be one of those tridoxes. The ego is part of a tridox, uh, so I can never just get rid of it. Um, but I think we are doing a better job at giving people tools so they can discern themselves whether or not something is functional or not, or if you're going to assess somebody functionally, what potentially is the best way to do that? Now, we've, we've gone through this before in a, in a podcast, and, but I'm going to zip through it uh, because I'll come back to it and I'll come back to it again. So we're going to zip through it three times. One, to just explain what we call the functional litmus test. Two, to plug in something from FMS uh, to see if it's functional. Uh, and then plug in something from 3D Maps that looks kind of like the same thing and see if it's functional. So uh, we have a, a, a scientifically designed spectrum of what is functional and what is not. Um, the nice thing is no matter who looks at this, people from FMS, people from Fusionetics, uh, people from Exos, people from, doesn't matter, uh, these amazing people who have really care about their patients and clients, uh, when they walk through this with me, there's uh, undeniable truth. They cannot deny that what the litmus test goes through um, isn't scientifically based. So for example, on one hand, we have something that's less functional. On the other hand, something that's a lot more functional. And and there's a big asterisk you got to put on this one. It's context dependent. So is it is it functional for walking and running? Is it functional for swimming? Is it functional for hitting a golf ball? Is it functional for certain forms of dance? Is it So anytime, unless somebody basically says, is this functional for, let's say a golf assessment, um, we're assuming if you're doing a, in this case, a functional movement screen or 3D maps, that a human being's coming in and saying, 
evaluate me functionally for what I do all day long. In other words, we call it global human function. Walk, reach, bend, twist, lift, push, pull, climb, all the things I do all day long. And so without telling you a specific activity or sport, it's global human function. And so if we look at our litmus test, the first thing we look at is an environment. The more natural environment, the more functional it is. The more unnatural, obviously, it's less functional. Uh, so uh, if walking is out in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden you're saying, I'm doing this thing, but I got a bunch of plastic around, uh, you'd go, well, I like that. I like out in the middle of nowhere because that's more natural. And again, I'm going to blitz through these. And if you have questions, follow up questions, please get back to us. Gravity and ground reaction force are huge phys physics drivers uh, in understanding human movement. Well, in order to, to facilitate hu global human movement, we have to use gravity and ground reaction force as two huge forces to determine if somebody has functional capabilities. So are we using it or are we confusing it? Another big one that I see a lot of people missing is mass and momentum. What we do is mass momentum. Walking itself is losing our balance, decelerating that, gaining our balance, and then going somewhere else and using mass momentum. So unless I just stand there uh, and want to be um, just a, a marker in the front my front yard and look like a stork and paint myself pink, um, if that's that's we don't consider that functional. Uh, I'm constantly moving and therefore moving is dealing with mass momentum. We've been through this a thousand times, but the motion has to be 3D. You have to create 3D motion, even though some of it's a little more sagittal frontal transverse, it's got to be 3D motion, 3D motion. Function is a chain reaction. In other words, it's a kinetic chain. Uh, some people call it regional interdependency. Uh, when I move my hand and rotate it to the right, my whole body moves to, even uh, if it's my right hand and I rotate it to my right, my left subtalar joint everts. And all of function is a chain reaction, all of global function. Somebody might say, well, what if you're um, under a car trying to fix uh, you know, the brake pads and you're kind of glued there and you can't move anything else and you're just moving your wrist? Yep, that's, that's not chain reaction. Uh, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about global human movement. Um, a real big litmus test is when you're assessing somebody, are you facilitating their proprioceptors or are you inhibiting their proprioceptors? In other words, when we evaluate somebody, we want to evaluate the neuromusculoskeletal system. So are we having the muscles do what they do? Do we have the joints doing what they do? But more importantly, do we have the proprioceptors doing what they do? So are they facilitated or are they inhibited? A big one uh, that I missed for years is understanding that muscles are reactors and not actors. So am I getting the muscles to react as opposed to asking a muscle to do something? Are the joints integrated? That's functional or are they isolated? That's non-functional. Is the task subconscious reaction? In other words, I don't want them to know what I want them to do. In other words, if I'm trying to figure out how well you flex your hip, I don't want to say, now flex your hip. I want to give you a task to do, such as lunge here and reach there to get your hip to flex. And so function is a subconscious reaction, where less function is a conscious reaction. Specificity. Um, tough word. On one hand, simple, simple but on the other hand, not so simple. So specifically for what? Well, specifically for global human movement, are we taking our patients and clients through transformational zones? In other words, loading them in and out of loading and unloading of what their body does 
uh, or are we stagnating it? Are we inhibiting a lot of things and just stagnating and not getting into a transformational zone? Mobility stability. What do we need in global human movement? The answer is yes. So are we combining them, which is functional, or are we segregating them? Um, and then three powerful behavioral drivers that are part of our litmus test are encouragement, empowerment, and engagement. And so does your movement assessment encourage this, the subject? Do, does it empower the subject and does it engage the subject? That's a good question. Well, if it does, if it facilitates encouragement through success, if it facilitates empowerment through an internal locus of control, in other words, the human being knows that they're in charge and not somebody else telling them what to do, and if they see what they're doing is relevant, then they're in, and that's, as, they, as you would know, that would be more functional. However, if we grade them, like pass, fail, green, blue, or yellow, uh, zero, one, two, or three, and we have a failure spectrum, that's eh, not quite encouraging. Uh, if, they, if we force them to do things like hold this and step over that and hold still and don't move, and all of a sudden there's an external locus of control, there's less empowerment. And especially if you're laying down and let's say you're on all fours and you're pointing like a pointer dog and somebody's saying, well, this is a functional exam, even Pooh Bear would go, this looks irrelevant to me. In other words, I understand that I can get on my hands and knees and I can stick my arm out or stick my leg out, but I don't see where this is relevant to me saying to you, I want to enjoy my day better and therefore take me through an assessment. So we're gonna blitz through it again, but now we're gonna plug something in. So global human movement, let's take something from FMS, but the reason I'm taking this one, uh, in fact, I could take probably any of the seven, um, is that I've done this one. For years I did it and wasn't, wasn't gutsy enough to ask me, so why am I doing it? Uh, and when I finally asked myself, why am I doing it? My first answer is I have no idea. Um, now I know why I was doing it. Somebody told me, but I don't do it anymore because it has no more meaning to me. And here's what I mean. So you're laying somebody on a table and you're having them lift their leg up and you want to see if they get to 90 degrees and you give them a grade. Let's say they get a three if they go to 90 degrees. Let's say they get less than that if they don't. And let's say if they have any pain or discomfort, you give them a zero. So first of all, is that a functional movement screen? Well, first thing is you're holding their leg up so there's no movement. Uh, and the real question is, is it functional? Well, let's not ask the FMS people. Let's not ask Gray Institute. Let's ask science. Let's, let, let's ask our spectrum. So our spectrum would say, well, let's go through it real quick. In that particular test assessment, the environment is unnatural. You're confusing gravity and ground reaction force. Uh, in fact, you're actually having it work in a way that it doesn't work when you're actually facilitating that uh, reaction to the hip and the muscles around the hip. You're totally neglecting massive momentum. That's purely non-functional. You're trying to keep it one-dimensional. That's non-functional. It's a link action. It's not a chain reaction. That's non-functional. You're inhibiting 99% of the proprioceptors by laying them on a the table and just moving the hip. That's non-functional. 
you're asking the muscles, you're asking the person literally to bring their leg up to flex the hip. And so the muscles now become an actor. That's non-functional. You're isolating out the hip. You're not taking in consideration that the hip really talks to the subtalar joint and to the knee and it talks to the thoracic spine. And so what are they doing during this test? Nothing. You're, you're isolating it out. Um, the task is a conscious reaction, which is purely non-functional. There's no specificity to this. You would look at that and go, so is that the transformational zone of anything that I do throughout the day? Well, if you lay in your bed and you, and you make your knee go straight and you lift your leg up uh, and point it to the ceiling, and that's a big part of your function during the day, well, we might buy it. But that facetiously, we don't do that. Um, and are we combining mobility and stability? No, we're segregating it. And therefore, are we facilitating an environment of encouragement? No. Empowerment? No. And is there engagement? No. In fact, if you look at the person's eyes, they're going, why am I doing this? I'm, I'm, again, for years, we had a part of our what we called our athletic screen. And we bring the athletes through. And some of the tests we did now, I know, are purely non-functional like this one. And some were kind of close to function. Uh, but just look at the athlete's eyes and they go, I don't know why we're doing this. And, uh, because they're, they're, what they're kind of saying with their eyes is, I don't play a game where I lay down on the floor or a table and I have to lift my leg up there and hold it. That's not a game I play. That's not what my body does. It has nothing to do with, with what I would do. And so um, anybody, being honest, would say that is not a functional test. There's, it's definitely not movement and therefore it shouldn't be part of a functional movement screen. No brainer. Uh, let's take uh, in 3D maps because uh, if you read their literature, they're after kind of the hamstring on one side and maybe the hip flexor on the other side. And so we have one that attacks that and we call it the posterior chain. And it's a posterior lunge uh, with a bilateral arm swing, uh, posterior ankle height. And let's plug that one in. Well, good news is it's a natural environment. We don't have you laying on anything and you're not on any plastic and you're not holding on anything. Uh, you're upright, so we're properly utilizing gravity and ground reaction force. A big part of what we're doing is leveraging mass and momentum. You're actually moving the whole time with your mobility and stability. As soon as you take that lunge, we're facilitating a three-dimensional reaction. And as you know, if you know 3D maps, we make sure we get all three dimensions because we lunge in all six directions. It's a chain reaction. As soon as I do that lunge and that arm swing, every joint in my body's moving. We're facilitating 100% of the proprioceptors. We're treating all the muscles as reactors. The joints are all integrated. The task is subconscious reaction. We might be looking at how well does that hip flex and how well does that hamstring lengthen uh, in the sagittal, frontal, and transverse planes. And therefore, could you take a step back and reach down? That subconscious reaction will show us that as opposed to, hey, lay, lay here and lift your leg up. Uh, the specificity is a transformational zone specificity. Uh, we do a lot of that during, uh, during the day. Uh, reaching down for, uh, for my uh, uh, phone that I just dropped. Uh, the, just basically picking up my socks in the morning. And just all throughout the day, I'm, I'm amazed at how many times I use that posterior chain reaction. Um, and therefore, it's, uh, it's, again, very, very functional in that respect. Mobility, stability, we combine them. In other words, we show the motion that we have in the posterior chain of uh, ankle plantar flexion, knee flexion, hip flexion, uh, trunk flexion with lumbar, thoracic, and cervical flexion, as well as uh, shoulder extension. 
Um, and therefore, we basically assess it to see how successful you are. It immediately becomes an encouraging test. Um, we let the client and we let the patient do it the way they want to do it, the way their body was designed to do it. And therefore, they're in charge. And so we empower them. And immediately they say, yeah, this is what I do throughout the day. And therefore, that we have engagement. And so on one hand, uh, myself personally, excuse me, personally, um, have really confused this world of function. And to uh, hopefully... Uh, pay our debts because we've been a big part of the confusion, we basically said we have this scientific litmus test, this spectrum that will let us know whether we're on a functional track or not. And therefore, it takes the emotion out and we can plug things in. So if I would plug in, uh, let's say getting on all fours uh, as a pointer dog test, if I was to plug in stepping over a hurdle and trying to stay in the sagittal plane, if I was to plug in reaching beyond my, behind my back and trying to uh, hold a stick, um, if I was, I can plug in just about anything and you quickly have to realize that not much function there. And interestingly enough, most of those seven tests don't have motion, don't have movement. So we're trying to figure out how anybody looked at that and said these are functional movement assessments, there's functional movement screens. Uh, so, um, says us, but not says us, uh, says science. Um, there might be some out there going, whoa, I would love to hear the FMS people, the Fusionetics people, the Exos people beat Gary Gray up and take him to task on this. Guess what? I would too. Uh, I, would, I would think that would be awesome if we had a seminar where we all could come in and say, hey, show me your screen. We'll show you our screen. Uh, we're going to share with you what we think the weaknesses of your screen are. Uh, we want you to point out the weaknesses of our screen and all the people watching here are going to benefit. Uh, so they're going to basically come up to their own decision. What's the best way without a good evaluation tool? I don't think we can treat people well. I don't think we can train and condition them well. If you don't know where the threshold of their function is, there's no way you can design an optimal program. Certainly you can give them a bunch of exercises and have them do a bunch of stuff but you're not giving him your best. And therefore, I think to give, give him the best, I think we all need to come together and uh, basically have an intellectual discussion on um, what's the best way to assess and then rehab and train individuals based on our understanding of the physics of it all, the biology of it all, and the uh, psychology or the behavioral of it all, uh, what we call applied functional science. So I really appreciated that question. Um, again, we can plug, I, I do this quite frequently. Uh, a friend of mine uh, came to me and said, I have a great dry land training program for swimmers and I want your uh, input on how much of this is functional versus maybe not as functional as I can get. And I said, hey, I can, I can help you, but I can help you help yourself. Here's the spectrum of environment, gravity, gravity, force, mass, momentum, motion, reaction, proprioceptive muscles, joints, tasks, specificity, mobility, stability, encouragement, empowerment. And it's real easy to understand on the right-hand side, it's pure function. On the left hand, it's not. Relative to the swimming stroke you're talking about, you can tell me whether or not that environment and that activity and that movement you've designed for that swimmer is as functional as you can possibly make it. Well, that was great. I didn't give him a fish. 
I taught them how to fish. And so hopefully uh, with uh, our podcast and hopefully what we do at Gray Institute is uh, sometimes you give, give out fishes. Sometimes I'm so hungry, don't teach me how to fish. Give me a fish right now to hold me over. But ultimately I wanna learn how to fish. And uh, in the world of Gray Institute, the world of applied functional science, it's our goal to hand the baton to you and uh, let you know how proud we are of you and to uplift you and encourage you. Again, all these things that we now kind of uh, kind of say, hey, it's not as functional as we thought it was, we've made the mistake. Um, so when we're pointing that one finger out saying, I'm not sure that's what you want to do, I got other fingers coming back at me. So it's easy to talk about this because we're not going na 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 na, we got this and you don't. It's, uh, we're really going, wow, uh, we've learned a lot, we've made a lot of mistakes, um, and our job is to learn and then unlearn and then learn again. Because that's what, that's what people who really care about others will do as opposed to do something uh, based and say, well, that's what I came up with 20 years ago, so I'm sticking to it no matter what, no matter what anybody can prove to me. And then you got to sometimes ask, why are you doing that? Well, sometimes ego's there, sometimes pride's there, sometimes financial gain's there. There's a lot of things that influence me uh, and I'm sure influence others. So. At the end of the day, are we taking great care of the people who trust us? That's that's what we want to ask. Thanks for joining the Gray Institute uh, podcast. Please uh, send in your uh, questions, comments, uh, even controversial things, uh, or even things more personal or private. Uh, because again, it's just an opportunity to share our heart with you and to hopefully uplift your heart and spirit and uh, just let you know how proud we are of you and uh, just encourage you to, to keep it up because you're enhancing your life, you're enhancing your abilities to enhance the life and the abilities of others. This is John. Thanks for joining us here on the Gray Institute podcast. At Gray Institute, our goal is to do one thing the best we can, and that is to help you become the go-to movement professional. If you have a question for future podcasts or questions about anything Gray Institute offers, including education, live or online specializations, or mentorships, please email us at info at grayinstitute.com. If we use your question on air, we will send you some cool stuff. Be sure to look for our next podcast coming soon. Have a great day.